Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking about Christmas, of course, 2019. And I'm going to begin by sharing with you that most people view Christmas, defining it by trees, bulbs, lights, cards, parties, food, sales, stores open all night, earlier every season, later every season, and the list goes on and on. Hallmark's 25 Days of Christmas, movies, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, all kinds of Christmas stories that are out there. But how many of you know that's not what Christmas is all about? It's about celebrating one of the three most important events that have ever occurred in the realm of human history. The incarnation of our Lord and Savior, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the Son of God. Those are the three most important events ever to occur in the realm of human experience. And we're celebrating the incarnation, the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And the miracle goes so far beyond words that the Apostle Paul said it's unspeakable. Thank God for his unspeakable gift, a gift beyond words, inexpressible, a gift we can't articulate. You can't even wrap your brain around the fact that the second person of deity, if you think about the ancient of days, who always was, is, and always will be the second person of deity, at a moment in time, entered the womb of a virgin, a 15-year-old girl, a virgin, to take on human flesh, to identify with mankind. Think about that. Try to think about that. You just can't do it. But for those of you that are pro-lifers out there, anybody here pro-life? You know how they try to say today in our world, and our society, that that's not a life until what the heart, you can detect a heartbeat? Well, let me tell you something. If he was always existing before he entered the womb, at what point did he stop existing until the heartbeat? If God knew Jeremiah before he entered the womb, at one point did he not be a human being? So think about it. Did he stop existing for those weeks before he had a heartbeat detected? No, he existed throughout eternity. And the moment of conception, he's still God. But now the God-man. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, we're going to look at the most amazing man who ever lived and graced this world by dwelling among us. His name is Jesus, and this is talking about his birth. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day, notice unto you, 
this day, is born this day, that's the right time, in the city of David, the right place, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone, away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. I didn't see anywhere where the angel said Bethlehem. Just said the city of David. They must have known. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they had made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. All right. This most amazing figure who ever walked the earth was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. The right place, this day at the right time, he was born. And also, because he was of the line of David, he was from the right line. So the right place, the right time, and the right line was he born. And it was prophesied by Micah in chapter 5 and verse 2 that it would be in Bethlehem. So guess what? He even identifies him as Christ the Lord, our Savior. So for them to say they didn't know that he was the Savior, imagine it. It was already proclaimed by the angels and told by the shepherds. Notice, once again, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the industry there was rearing sheep, raising up sheep. Why? They were breeding them to be sacrificial animals, to be sacrificed because of the Levitical priesthood demanded many lambs to be sacrificed throughout the course of a year. So in other words, it's all indicating that the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ of the world was born where he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They were even told he's Christ the Savior. How much clearer can it be than that? But they couldn't buy it. Didn't believe it. But that was his birth. Secondly, his birth was announced and celebrated by angels, an angelic host. There they are, proclaiming his birth and shouting and singing and praising. Imagine when they saw all that. And remember, shepherds weren't all that popular among the people, like the lower base people in the eyes of many. But all of a sudden, he's not born in a temple somewhere, in a palace. He's in a stable. And all of a sudden, all this pomp and circumstance from heaven above goodness when I was born in uh, Youngstown Ohio at Northside Hospital all I got was Pampers, Similac and a pacifier he gets gold frankincense and myrrh kings from the Orient they come and they present to him gold, frankincense and myrrh imagine that gold represents his kingship here upon the earth frankincense represents his deity not just his anointing as a priest but his deity that's what they did back then and myrrh sim symbolic of his burial pretty important fellow wouldn't you say to have all this happen to him and then what about when he was 12 years of age he is found by his parents in the temple speaking to the elders the theologians the well educated and schooled in their theology guess what 
They're astonished at his wisdom. The knowledge that he had, the answers that he gave, the questions that he asked, they marveled at it all. They were astonished, 12 years of age. And then, how about this, when he was 30 years old and he was baptized in water by John the Baptist, he comes up out of the water and now it's not a host of angels, it's a voice that comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Now we shift from God speaking to the, prophets, to the fathers by the prophets to speaking by his son. Basically he was saying this, this is his platform right now. You listen to what he has to say. He begins his public ministry of, th of three and a half years. And in three and a half years of public ministry, as he speaks to the people and does all these signs, wonders, and miracles among the people, it is said of him in John's gospel that if all that was written was written, the universe couldn't contain the books of the, books of the things that he did. You talk about the most amazing man who ever walked on this earth. Now think about it from even a natural perspective, intellectual perspective. He defied the law of gravity by walking on water. He would be translocated with a boat from one place to another. You talk about astonishing. He could multiply food and feed 5,000 plus the women and children with a little boy's lunch. He can send a fish out to get the coins from the bottom of the ocean to pay his taxes. Why would he do that for me? Which... Wouldn't you love that? That's what he could do. And then you know what? Sickness or disease, no problem for him. Even death did nothing as far as he was concerned. Lazarus could be dead for four days, body decaying, but he says, just come out. Think about this amazing individual who was born into this world, who spoke to the wind, the waves, and the sea, and they obeyed him. And what did his disciples say? What manner of man is this that even all this obey him? He could talk to a tree. It would obey him and it would die. And no man would eat fruit of it forever. Amazing individual. For 2,000 years, once again, he's the most popular person who ever lived. The most impacting person who ever lived. And it goes beyond words, all that he accomplished in human lives. Now, what did he come for? Did he come to teach morals? Then his life was about ethics. It's okay being ethical, but is that what he came for? Did he come, let's say, to teach about the environment and fix the environment like so many are concerned about today? I marvel at that too, as if man's going to do something to override what God can do. Well, then his life would have been about trees and plants and the ecology. Did he come to model manners and, you know, nice living? Then his life was about Martha Stewart living. Or did he come bringing gifts? Did he come with tinsel and garland and lights and trees, etc., etc.? I guess he must have been the first Santa Claus. That's what his life would have been about. No, there's a reason why he came. And for what reason in the mix we kind of lose sight of that fact. Why did he come to this planet? Why did the second person of deity leave all that glory world behind to robe himself in flesh 
to humble himself, to become a man, to walk upon this earth and communicate with mankind the message that the Father had for him to give. Why? What's the reason? You know what? If we don't understand the reason, we'll be lost in the mix. Number one, he came to save sinners. Look at 1 Timothy. He came to save sinners. Not for us to put up Christmas trees or lights. Nothing wrong with that. Not to just give gifts to one another. Nothing wrong with that. Not to teach ethics. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to be concerned about the ecology. That's okay. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. You understand Paul was a murderer of Christians, but before we get to that, why did he come? To save sinners. That's why he came into the world. He didn't come to give us a holiday. I don't know about you, but every time I hear someone at a store somewhere or anywhere you go, happy holidays. I almost want to say, well, what holiday is it? What are we celebrating? It's Merry Christmas. It's celebrating the birth of Christ, the incarnation. I'd like to sometimes just say, you mean the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ is a holiday? Is that what you're talking about? Then we'll celebrate together. That's what it is. It goes beyond our ability to wrap our brain around this wonderful thing. God becoming a man and identifying with man throughout eternity. Number two, why did he come? Look at the next verse, Matthew 20 and verse 28. Even as a son of man came, not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He was born to die. There could not be a crucifixion. There could not be a resurrection if there wasn't an incarnation. He robed himself in flesh, identified with man, became a man, walked on the earth knowing he was born to die. He was this sacrificial lamb that would go to the cross and pay the sin debt for humanity. He knew it had to be done and someone had to do it and he chose to do it, praise God, for us. So that's why he came. So we can't miss the message of Christmas is God became a man and he became a man so he could offer his life as a ransom for many paying the price or the sin debt that we all owed to God. Every one of us. And then thirdly he came to find and restore what was lost. Look here in Luke's gospel chapter 19. This is from the message translation of the Bible. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. He came to find. You know who he came to find? He, he came here to find people like you and people like me that knew or that know that they were lost. You know, there were many in the day that he walked on this earth that didn't know they were lost. They didn't even know they needed a Savior or a Redeemer. They had no knowledge of that. But he came to find, to seek and to find those that know they're lost. Why? To restore them to a right relationship with God. And that's why he came. That was his mission. Now, in that setting, that verse, Luke 10, 19, remember, he's talking about a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man of small stature, unlike me. 
He was a man of small stature. So he had to climb a tree when the crowd was surrounding Jesus to get up in that tree to look down to see if he could get some look at the master to see what he looked like, I guess. Maybe an audience, I don't know. But Jesus saw him up there in that tree. Zacchaeus, come on down here for a while. Let's talk. So he found him up in the tree, told him to come down, says, I'm going to eat with you tonight at your house. And all the religious people said, doesn't he know he's a sinner? Doesn't he know he's evil? A tax collector, he's got an evil heart. Don't they, doesn't he understand it? If he was some kind of a prophet, he would know these things. Jesus ignored all the talk. Went over to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus had an encounter with the master. Jesus found him who was lost, and Jesus touched him. And when he touched him, this evil tax collector, guess what he did? He did a 180. He knew he defrauded people. He knew he cheated people. He knew what kind of heart he had. He turned that whole thing around and he said to the Lord, Lord, I'll give back even more than what I took from them. You know what, people? Only God can change a heart like that. Only Jesus can take a sin-sick soul and make it whole and put love in it, put a heart in it. That's why he came. He came for men like Zacchaeus, who I'm sure maybe even others thought there's no way this man could ever be right with God. He is so cruel. He's so mean. He's so evil. He'll never get his heart right with God. But you know what? One encounter with Jesus is all that it truly takes. Let me say it this way. Yes, he was born of a virgin and became flesh and dwelt among us. But at that point, when he's born in your heart, there's a transformation that takes place that goes beyond words and you know what sometimes if we've been saved for a long period of time we kind of lose sight of that we do it's important to maintain that in our lives number two look at Paul Saul of Tarsus Paul the apostle here is a man bent on stamping out Christianity here's a man who is following a path for his life who feels as though he's doing God a great service He's finding Christians. He's putting them in jail. Men, women, children, it doesn't matter to him. As far as he's concerned, they're all rebels. And they're all resisting the things of God. So what does he want to do? He hates Christ. He's a murderer of Christians. He calls for the death of uh, the first martyr, Stephen. And the list goes on and on and on. By his own admission, he persecuted the house of God. What a mean man he was. All the while thinking he's doing God a great service. But he wasn't and just didn't know it. But you know what? Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road. All it takes is one encounter. That's all it takes is one encounter with Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, everything changed. You know what Christmas is all about? Receiving the greatest gift that's ever been given to the human race. A gift that pierces the very heart of an individual and establishes within that individual his purpose for being. You see, Paul was Saul going down the wrong road. But Jesus saw the sincerity of his heart. He was doing it because he was sincere toward God. And when Jesus saw him and he saw Jesus and he met Jesus, his heart changed. The destroyer became the builder of the church. And now... 
he goes about telling people about this great Savior, willing to lay down his life for the Redeemer, the Savior. Now his life is following the right course and direction. He knows his purpose that he is to fulfill. And where does it come from? The heart of God. It would behoove all of us to look within ourselves and start asking ourselves the question, am I walking in the purpose that God has for my existence and my being? Am I doing what God wants me to do with my life? Am I living the life that he has called me to live? And you say, how can I find that? The best way I would say is on your face. On your face before God and ask him, here I am. What would you have me to do? Every one of us should take that time. The lost, he came to save, to restore. In the book of Romans chapter 5, he has four words revealed to us about the lost. This is what the Bible, remember Paul was taught the Bible by Jesus. And so this is what Jesus taught Paul about those that are lost. Four words you're going to see in here. Give me a little bit of latitude for the first one. For when we were yet without strength, would you say that's weak? Everybody say weak. Weak. Number one, the lost person is weak. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Number two, would you say the lost person is ungodly? For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet what? Sinners. We were weak ungodly sinners Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood not by our works we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were what's the fourth word enemies that's hard to even get out of your mouth I was an enemy of God I was weak ungodly sinner enemy of God We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What did he come to do? Find lost sinners and save them by his life and by his grace. And bring them back into a right relationship with God Almighty. So that they would what? Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him and do his will for their lives. So, four things we understand represent what the church is all about. Number one, to get the lost. Remember he said the lost, those four names, those four words. To get them what? Saved. To get the lost saved is what it's all about. But then to get the saved established and rooted in the truth of the gospel. Once we get saved, it's not enough. It's enough to make heaven, but that's not all God wants for us. He wants us established. Established what? In the principles of Christianity. The principles revealed to us in scripture that impact our conduct, our character, our attitudes, and our behavior. To get them established in the truth, established in Christ, and who they are in Christ, and what they have in Christ. Then to establish, to get trained, because we all need spiritual training. To be more effective witnesses for Jesus, as ambassadors here upon this earth for Christ, we need trained in the things of God. And then once we're trained, we're sent out into the world. Sent out to impact the people everywhere we go. You see, it's not like I used to think when I was growing up. I thought church and my obligation was just about being at church on a Sunday. And that was it. And I spent my 45 minutes there in church and my obligation was completed. There was nothing more I needed to do. 
I never spoke about my belief. I never spoke to any others about religion. Never spoke about any kind of conviction that I had. I just did my duty as I was taught and I was told when I was growing up. Just go to church. Make sure you go to your confession on, on Saturday night and you go to church on Sunday morning and you've got it made, son. You got it made. Doesn't matter. Monday through Saturday afternoon. Doesn't matter. But Saturday night and Sunday morning, that's what counts. And I went that way for 24 years of my life. Was I in church? Absolutely. There was a time I went five days a week when I was in school. But you know what? I wasn't changed. I didn't have an encounter with Jesus. I didn't even know what it was all about. I'll be honest with you. All I longed for as a kid growing up was, let's get these 45 minutes over during this midnight mass. I can't wait for Christmas morning. That's when the excitement took place. I had no concept of what the incarnation meant, the hypostatic union meant. I had no revelation of God becoming a man and then wanting to come and live in me and make me what he wanted me to be. I had no revelation of that whatsoever. But when I was 24 years old, something happened. God began to work on me by his spirit. He sent labors across my path to speak into my life the truth of the word of God, to open up my eyes to see so that I could truly see and understand what it means to be a Christian. And I didn't place my eternity in the hands of any other. I took the responsibility for myself to find out what the Bible teaches. And when I found out you must be born again, I'll be honest with you, I went back to my spiritual leaders and showed them how come the Bible says, according to Jesus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And I never heard that once in 24 years, five days a week in school. I never, ever heard that. And his response to me was, you can't believe everything in that book. You believe your church doctrine and exalted above that book. That was enough for me. I made my exit to find the truth. And I found it in God's word. And I realized I can understand the Bible. I can know what the Bible teaches. We all have the same Holy Ghost that can teach us to know the truth. You know why? Eternity is a long, long time. And to spend it in the lake of fire, knowing you'll never get out, is a gruesome thing to even think about. Jesus didn't come for trees, bulbs, gifts, shopping, food, parties, and the list goes on and on. He came to find and save that which was lost. And we were lost. Every, no matter how good you lived, how bad you lived, we're all lost. We're all in the same boat. We understand that. And we all need a Savior. And oh, was I furious. I was infuriated. Because my eternity was hanging in the balance and I didn't even know it. I thought I was okay. And I wasn't. And had I died then, been lost for eternity, what am I going to do? Point the finger at my spiritual leaders and say, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Mm -mm. They'll have their part to play in it. But And that takes me to my last and final point here. Things to remember. Let's look at some things that we're going to remember, especially throughout eternity. Let's start with the moment. The moment that the Savior came into the world. And look at Luke 1.38 and Hebrews 10.5. This is the moment that Mary's going to think about throughout eternity. 
And I'm certain he's the son of God, so he's going to remember this throughout eternity. We've been told to remember some things as well. Remember me, he said, in his death, burial, resurrection, and so on. But let's start with this one. This is Christmas right here. This is the moment of conception. This is what took place. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but in my thinking, from what I understand about faith, confessing, declaring the word of God to be true, make your declaration, I believe this is exactly how it took place. And if I get to heaven and say, you're lawful a little bit, I'll say, okay, I, I repent, Lord, I'm sorry. But anyhow, give me my little bit of latitude. Here's a 15-year-old girl. The angel Gabriel standing before her and says to her, you're going to conceive in your womb the Son of God. And she says, how? I don't know a man. He says, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you and that holy thing that will be in you will be the Son of God. His name is Jesus. Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Listen to that statement. Be it unto me according to what you just said. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Now let's go and pull back the curtain and let's look at Jesus. The second person of deity. Imagine. Can you imagine what the Godhead must be like? Isaiah saw him high lifted up full of glory. trained filled the temple. The angel cried holy. Right? Can you imagine up there in that glorious world? And the second person of deity listens to the father. And the father says to him, you know, we need to have somebody go down there and get into a physical body because you got to get to the cross where you're going to suffer and die and shed your blood. And, and the second person of deity, Christ says, the word made flesh, says, I'll go. But I need a body. I need a body. You got to provide for me a body. Okay. So while he's there, listen to this. Wherefore, when does he do this? When he cometh into the world. He saith. Can you see this? He's coming into the world now. What's he saying? Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. On earth, you got Mary saying, be it unto me according to thy word. In heaven, you've got the second person of deity saying those words, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And then all of a sudden, hypostatic union, conception, immaculate conception, in the womb of a 15-year-old girl. She spoke her words. He spoke his words. God does nothing without speaking words. Did you know that? And when those words were spoken and he had her surrender and he surrendered himself, a hypostatic union takes place and the God-man is conceived in the womb of a 15-year-old girl. You think she's going to forget that? I can see her walking over to Gabe. Hey, Gabe. Remember when you delivered that message to me? I was shaking in my boots. I'm telling you, a 15-year-old girl having to get pregnant and saying, it wasn't anybody that I know. Can you imagine that? Secondly, look at the next one. The motive. Let's never forget the motive. John, 5, John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God's son is not, not a son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So here we have the motive. The motive. Why did you send me, Father? Because I love the world. I want no one lost. I want everyone to be saved. The motive. Why did you leave Jesus to come to the earth? Because of the motive. The love that God has not to condemn the world, not to destroy the world in any way, but to save the world. That was the motive. Let's never forget that motive. And then thirdly, we see the mission. Matthew's gospel. This is Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. 
But look at this. He sh and she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin, this is uh, Isaiah 7, 14, shall conceive, uh, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, which being interpreted is God with us. And so we see it was prophesied. But what's the mission? To save us from sin. So now we see, praise God, we have the moment that he came, the motive, the reason why he came, and now the mission is to save sinners, and everything we should do in our reproduction of, let's say, the Christmas story and what's going on, should always be directed toward the whole purpose for which he came. He came to save sinners. And lastly, the memories, the memories. And we're going to see this in Luke 16 for a very specific reason. But in Luke 16, here we have a man, a rich man, who died and went to hell. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeing Father Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. For I am, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in his flames. But Father Abraham said, Son, remember. Everybody say, remember. remember. Son, remember. What? That thou in thy lifetime receive thy good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. The man still has memory and the man is in hell suffering and he's got a lot of things to think about during this length of time that will be there, which is eternally. What's he going to remember? Mary's going to remember when she said yes to Gabriel, be it unto me according to thy word. Christ is going to remember when he said a sacrifice and offering, that what it's not but a body you prepared for me. As a believer, you and I are going to remember the day we gave our heart to Jesus because we were filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do you remember when that change took place in your life? Do you remember when you gave your heart to Jesus and the impact that it made in your life and how it changed you from the inside out and the life of God came inside you? Do you remember when you got baptized in water and you start walking with God and serving God and, and doing the will of God in your life? Do you remember that? You remember that throughout eternity. You realize that. Well, thank God for all of us. But the rich man is going to remember some things too. This rich man in this place of suffering, he's going to remember the sermons that he neglected to act upon. The messages that he heard from maybe the elders, maybe in the synagogue, who knows where he may have heard them from, but he neglected those messages. It's got a long time to think about how he didn't respond in a favorable way. Secondly, he's also going to remember the Holy Spirit that he disrespected. Because you see, it's the Holy Spirit that comes to convince and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so, what's he going to remember? Oh man, now I can go back and remember how he was trying to woo me. To, to just get a hold of me. To make me do it God's way and not my way. Nobody's going to remember? He's going to remember the Savior that he rejected. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, look at the verse. 
He's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and yet we esteemed him not. He's going to remember. You know how many people are going to be in a place of suffering and remember? I remember sitting at that Christmas Eve service. I remember sitting through a boring Easter message. Because you see, I only go twice a year to church. Christmas and Easter. You know, we just do it because there's no else to go. Another place to go, nothing else to do. So we do it. I remember. What a sad scenario when the person throughout eternity will suffer needlessly. Why? Because all the sermons he neglected. Because of the Holy Ghost he disrespected. And because of the Savior he rejected. His sins were washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. But you see, it's too boring of a life to live, to serve God, walk with Him, and to do it His way and not my way. And so they chose to do their own way. Throughout eternity, they'll suffer. Why? They rejected the Savior. What a sad scenario. Beloved, thank God for traditions. But Jesus didn't come for traditions. Thank God for family gatherings. Jesus didn't come so we can just gather together as families. And the thing that's really offensive, like I said earlier, is the fact that it's a holiday. I almost want to say, if you don't want a manger put out, then don't have a holiday. Don't have an office party when you don't know what you're celebrating. It's a holy day. It's a day of remembrance. It's a day of me remembering back in October of 1976, my eyes were open to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and on a mill crane in my closet, three times I got on my knees and on my face before God and I said, I don't want to go to hell. I want to live with you eternally. And I gave my heart to him and said, come into my heart and be my Savior and my Lord. Christmas is all about him finding us recreating us, giving us a new heart, giving us a new life, and changing us from the inside out. But don't stop there, because I'm saved. But you know what? Am I established? Am I trained? Am I sent out into the world? Don't just stop at being saved. Get established in the truth of God's Word. Get filled with Holy Ghost power. Get a passion to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because you know what? If we don't, You'll find yourself, as Paul said to Timothy, departing little by little from that intensity and that drive that you had that caused you to serve him faithfully all the days of your life. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll close it right here. He wasn't born to create heartwarming traditions. He was born to get the lost saved, the saved established, established train, train sent out, and here it is. This is the gospel given to Paul by Jesus himself. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also you have received and have wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory 
what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Who received it from? Jesus. But what was that? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was raised, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Notice how he keeps referring to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren once, of whom the greater part remained to this present, but some are fallen asleep, some have died. After that he was seen of James, his half-brother, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet or really to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, don't you love this? But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Stop right there and just, just let that reverberate by the grace of God I am what I am wow and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace of God which was with me what's he saying I'm leaning toward grace man if we look in a mirror we probably won't like what we see none of us none of us there's no room for pride only humility because we are who we are by the grace of God we have what we have by the grace of God we know what we know by the grace of God and we can do what we can do only by the grace of God and that's it and if it were not for the incarnation of the Son of God who came to the earth to proclaim these truths and then go and die and be raised on the third day our fate would not be looking too good let's all stand together